Oh, we fell in love with him. The reason I want the lights on, I want people to read their Bibles because they're going to need their Bibles if they're going to listen to him. You're going to have to open your Bible, get your notepads out. I brought my pen and notepad, and I'm ready to go. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for Jesus' ministry as the prophetic teacher through your servant. And I ask that we would receive from your heart, Jesus, through your servant. Amen and amen. Let's take our Bibles and open them to 2 Samuel, chapter 5. 2 Samuel, chapter 5. For the lady that's doing the tape, the title of the message tonight is The Triumphal Entry of Jesus. The Triumphal Entry. Of Jesus, So we want to read about the time that Jesus came in triumph into Jerusalem. But I, before I do that, I want to read something as an introduction to that from 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 5 speaks about David conquering Jerusalem. And I want, to, I want you to read this. This is a true historical event, but I want you to read it also as a foreshadow, as a prophecy about Jesus, Yeshua, coming in to conquer Jerusalem again and to become king in that city. Father, I ask you tonight that we would be able to have a revelation of Jesus, Yeshua, as the king of Jerusalem. Lord, that we would be able to welcome him into that city in all of his glory. And we thank you, Father. I'm just seeing in my heart a picture for the last couple hours of just like a meteor coming in to strike the earth. Like a ball of fire, like a sun just coming in and coming in to hit the earth. And as it comes to hit the earth, everything is just destroyed. And I just see that as a picture of Jesus, Yeshua, coming back. And Brother Paul Wilbur used to sing a song. He said, Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. To receive Him in as our King. And Yeshua is coming back like a meteor, like a, like a shining star coming in to strike the earth. Coming back to be a King. In Jerusalem, when we want to welcome in. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's read. Chapter 5, 2 Samuel chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. And now we're reading this again. Try to see Jesus in this. And spoke to him saying, indeed, we are your flesh and bone. Imagine Israel saying that to Jesus. And also in the past time when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and you will be the ruler over Israel. And so all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David and made a covenant with them. 
at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David, like anointing Jesus, as king over Israel. And David was 30 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You will not come in here, but even the blind and the lame will be able to repel you, thinking David can't come in here, thinking Jesus can't get back to Jerusalem. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. And now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are despised by David's soul, he shall become the chief and captain. And therefore they say, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And so David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around him from the middle and inward. And so David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. And then Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And they built David a house. And so David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. And he exalted his kingdom for his people Israel's sake. Amen. Well, we're here this week to strengthen you here at the International House of Prayer, and those of you who are guests, in the destiny and the purposes that God's given you. As I understand that, you, I'd put it into three words. There's a calling of praise, to have David's heart of passion for bridal worship. There's a praise aspect. There's a prophecy aspect, understanding the end times battles and what, what we have to go through in the end times. And then there's a prayer aspect all over the world, but also particularly praying for Israel. And I want to be here to strengthen you and help you to do that. And one of the ways to do that is to understand Yeshua as the king of Jerusalem. I've been hearing often here from you, and of course God is speaking to all of our hearts, that we have a bridal love of worship, that we are the bride and we love Jesus. He is our husband and we love him with a bridal love and that is our worship. But you know, a bride desires, she wants her husband's desires to be fulfilled. And when we worship Yeshua, we as a bride, we desire for His desires to be fulfilled. In order to have His desires fulfilled, we need to know what His desires are. And what I want to share with you today is that the desire of His heart is to be the King over Jerusalem. Now, then maybe that's not what you think it is. But that's what His heart is. And we not have to put on Him what we think our heart is that He wants. We need to desire for His desires to be fulfilled. And just as David had a heart and he was desired to be king over Jerusalem, that's the heart of Yeshua. That's the heart of Jesus, that He desires to be king over Jerusalem. And we, if we are to be His bride and we want to see His desire fulfilled, then we need to see Him become the king over Jerusalem. I was really enjoying what, what Mike was saying last night about God... 
wanting and being willing to come down and become a human being. What an incredible thing that God wants that. I think about that sometimes that I try to meditate. You know, in the book of Revelation, it says three times that Jesus had fire coming out of his eyes. Once in the book, what's in chapter 19, where he said he came to destroy the evil powers, punish the evil powers of the world. And then in Revelation 2, it says that he came to purify the church and he came to fire of purity. And I saw that, that, that we have to be aware that, that Yeshua, Jesus, comes back at the second coming in fire to destroy the forces of the Antichrist and burn up evil in the world and to bring his punishment. But then I, I, I try to look into his eyes. And say, if he has fire coming in his eyes, can I in worship, can I, can I dare to look into his eyes and have that fire come out of his eyes and strike my eyes? And when I see that, I see that, that, that second part, that purity coming out. And, and it scares me. But to see the fire coming out of his eyes into my eyes, burning out my lust, burning out my laziness, burning out my selfishness, burning out my carnality. But then you see it again in Revelation chapter 1. When he comes before John, his beloved friend, and John falls down before him. And I said, God, what's that? That's not punishment. That's not purity. God said, that's passion. And when you understand that what's in Jesus' eyes is what's on the inside of him, that's his personality. That's the fire of his person. And I realize that when he doesn't want us just to understand the fire that's in his personality. He wants to transfer that personality into us. He wants to transfer that fire, that zeal, that personality that he has, that passion that he has on the inside of him. He wants to transfer that inside of us. I look at that and I said, geez, that's not even possible. I mean, I love you so much, but I can't even imagine that, that, that nuclear power of passion and personality and fire that's on the inside of you. You want to transfer that and put that inside of me? You want me to have the kind of personality that you have? That's what He wants for you. He wants to get that fire into you. I think about that years and years ago when Yeshua looked from heaven and He saw David. You know, we quote that from 1 Samuel 13. It says that David was a man after God's own heart. You know, that thing of after his own heart, that's all one word in Hebrew. One word, kilvavo. And it means this. And it doesn't mean after his heart, it means like his heart. It said, David had a heart like God. Which means, God had a heart like David. They had the same kind of heart. I was thinking about that when David, the Bible says that David did everything right. I mean, he could play music. He could fight wars. He, he could write the Bible. He was a good administrator. He was a good king. He had, and he was a righteous judge. He had integrity. I think God looked at all these... I mean, if they had basketball back then, I'm sure he could play basketball. I mean, the guy could just do everything. And I think of the expansion of that. Do you see that David was not only a worshiper, he was a man of integrity. He was a man of righteousness. God loved him because he had put him at the head of the judicial system in ancient Israel. And every case he ever tried, he, he answered that case with integrity and righteousness. He was a righteous man before God and God loved him. And he sinned one time really, really big. And God didn't cut him any slack, wrote it in the Bible. Hallelujah. 
and made him suffer for it, punished him big time in it. But other than that case, the Bible said that was the only time David sinned and David was a righteous man before God. And I, and I see that, that, that Jesus was in heaven looking out there when, when David ran at Goliath. said, I don't need a sword, I don't need a shield, I don't need nothing. Just give me a, give me a rock, I don't even need a rock. I'm just coming out him with the name of the Lord of hosts. I'll run out there, I'll hit him on the head with a stick. I don't care what it, and Je- I just see Jesus looking down at him from heaven going, Yeah, that's my kind of guy. That's, I, I wanna, that, that's, that's me. That, he, just, he turned to the other angel and said, You see, that, that's like me, that's the way I am. You know. And he looked at this guy and he came down to him. Now watch this. That God is spirit and he created men of earth and then he as a spirit wanted to come in and dwell inside of them. And when God looked from heaven, he looked at all the human beings, he looked at David and he said, When I come into when I come into this earth, I want to come into that guy right there. And he came down, he said, David, I said, I'm coming into this earth and I'm coming in through you. One of your seed. I said, he said, I, I, said, I want to get on the inside of you. God said, your personality is so much like mine that I want to get on the, I want to get physically on the inside of you. I said, oh God, God, give me a heart like that. Give me a heart that, that I could be like David. I could be that, that Jesus would want to live inside of me. That Jesus could say of me, I'm so much like you, you're so much like me, I just want to live on the inside of you. You know, it's not just for men, it's also for women. I think of God, now we're not primarily Catholics here, and I don't think, you know, Mary is the mother of God in that sense. But this little Jewish girl, and her name was Miriam, of course, not Mary, that this little girl was so pure of heart. She was so pure of heart. Innocent. I just think of my wife when I think of that. My wife is just the most pure-hearted person I ever met in my life. And I think of her being like Mary, that God would come down and say, You know what? I want to put my spirit... I want to have a baby through you. Of course, nothing sexual, nothing physical. That's what I'm talking about. But he just said, You're so pure. I want to, I want to put my spirit inside of you. And I want, to, I want to see you have a baby through me. I want to... What? God wants to transfer His personality into you and me. And God saw that about David. But one of the amazing things that there was about David was that he had a heart above everything to be the king of Israel. To be the king in Jerusalem. Is that foreign to you? I'm thinking about the time when David came in and was leading the ark into Jerusalem. Now, you know that passage really well, don't you? You know that passage better than you know the passage I just read you. You know that one by heart. See, because you've got a revelation of that. You need a revelation of this one. Now, here's what happened. He came dancing and he was, that was him worshiping. He was just dancing in the stripped down with just the, with the peasant girls on the street. And you know what happened? His wife, Michal, looked at him and she despised him. She did not have a revelation of David as a worshiper. Now, it's not that she didn't love David. She loved David. She was head over heels in love with him. But she did not have a loving revelation of him as a worshiper. And therefore, she dried up and missed the calling of the kingdom of God upon her. Are you with me? But I'm about to tell you the reverse of it. 
She loved him. She did have a revelation of something else. She had a revelation of him being the king of Israel. She loved him as the king of Israel, the king of Jerusalem. Now she missed the worship part. And when she missed the worship part, she missed her calling. But I believe that that much of the church of today is a reverse michal. You have a revelation of David, of Jesus as a worshiper, but you do not have a revelation of him as the king of Jerusalem. You've only got half. You're doing the same mistake as Michal, but in the other direction. You can appreciate Jesus and David getting down on the street and stripping down and worshiping. And you've got a revelation of him as a worshiper, but you don't have a revelation yet of him as the king of Israel, the king of Jerusalem. And you don't want to welcome him in. And don't miss that. Because we could miss our calling in the end times just as much as Michal missed it back then. She had a revelation of him being the king, not as a worshiper, and she missed it. And most believers today have a revelation of him as a worshiper, but not as a king. And we need to have a revelation of Jesus and David as the king. When Jesus said, when Yeshua said of David, you have a heart like mine and my heart is a heart like yours above all things, he was talking about his heart to be the king of Israel, his heart to be the king of Jerusalem, just as David said, now I see that God has made me the king over all Israel. Do you have that in your heart? Do you know that about David? Do you know that about Jesus? You know, I, I've heard people talk here. It's so beautiful. You, you, have the, you have the image of David as the warrior and the worshiper. Amen. But there's just one more thing above that. More than a warrior and more than a worshiper. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of Jerusalem. And that's what we want to get. This whole message of the Israel mandate is not about Israel. The thing about praying for the peace of Jerusalem is not about Jerusalem. Your covenant with Messianic Jews is not about Messianic Jews. It's all about one person. It's all about Yeshua. It's all about the David's greater son. It's about him fulfilling his destiny. It's about him becoming the king of Israel. Hallelujah. Well, let's read the parts now in, um, in the Gospels. You know that all four of the Gospels tell the story of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Now, as what I wanted you to see in that passage about David conquering Jerusalem, I want you to see that as a foreshadow of Jesus conquering Jerusalem, coming back in to rule and reign. Now, I want us to read all of the four passages, because they all have just a slightly different things of it, in all four of the Gospels, of the triumphal entry of Jesus to Jerusalem. And the way I want you to read it is a little differently. It was a historical event that he did that. And it's called, and I bet in your Bible it has it in mind, it calls it the triumphal entry. I want to tell you that was not the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry has not happened yet. And I want you to read that as a foreshadow of an end times event that's about to happen. Jesus is about to come back and enter in triumph and glory into the city of David. Jesus is about to come back and enter into triumph and glory. And the triumphal entry has not yet happened. And he's about to come back into the city of the great king. And to be the the great king in the city of the great king, the triumphal entry 
has not yet happened. And we want to read this as a foreshadow of that triumphal entry that will soon take place. Hallelujah. Let's look at that. In the Gospel of Matthew, we'll read, them, we'll read all four of them real quick. <clears throat> Chapter 21, Matthew 21. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem... Yeah, I am going to need that water bottle. Well, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, if anyone says anything, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will let them loose them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled that which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded. And they brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes upon them and sent and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their garments on the road. And others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the roads. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hallelujah. And when he had come into Jerusalem, the whole city was moved, saying, Who is this? Let's read the version in Mark. Mark 11. Mark 11 is that... Famous chapter about the Jesus rebuking the fig tree, telling us that whatever we say, we have authority to what we say will come to pass. But the context of it is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's uh, chapter 11, verse 2. Jesus said to them, go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. What if, and if anyone says, you are you doing this, say the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it there. So in their way they found the colt tied by the door and outside the street and they loosed it. And some of those who stood there saying, what are you doing loosing the colt? And so they spoke to him and they said just as Jesus commanded and they let them do it. They brought the colt to Jesus, the colt to Jesus and they threw their garments on it and he, sat, and he sat on it. And then he spread their garments on the road and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then those who went before and those who followed crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And watch this. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus went into Jerusalem, into the temple, and we looked around at all things. As the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's read it also in Luke. I have a reason for showing you all these. So I want you to really feel the, the different parts of this. Luke 19. The first part is almost exactly the same word for word. So we'll, we'll, ju- we'll jump up a little bit here. We'll pick it up now in verse 36. Luke 19:36. And as he went, they spread their clothes on the road. And then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, again, watch this, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. 
But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And the last one, John. John chapter 12. This is the last scripture we're going to read today. John chapter 12. Verse 12. John 12, verse 12. The next day, <clears throat> a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Yeshua, Jesus, was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. When Jesus, then Jesus, when he had found a, a young donkey, sat on it, as it was written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Yeshua was glorified, they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Well, I believe that that was not the triumphal entry. That was just a practice run to give us an example to understand what's going to happen in the end times. It's written in all four Gospels to show us that this event is of central importance to the Gospel message. And we need to see that our ultimate goal is to bring Yeshua back into His city and receive Him in to in a triumphal, glorious entry back into His city. I think of the revelation that you all have here about praise and worship. But I want to show you something new here. The praise and worship here was to welcome him in to the city of Jerusalem as a king. If your worship is not tied to that, if that's not what you're seeing your worship doing, I think you're missing one aspect of worship. Your worship is saying, blessed is he who is the king of Israel, the son of David. He will sit on King David's throne. Our praise and our worship is welcoming you in to come and sit upon your throne in Jerusalem. That's what your praise and worship is doing. Praise and worship is a welcoming in of the king of Israel. Not only that, that's one thing. There's another thing. <clears throat> to those of you who were, uh, I know I was part of this, deeply into the faith movement, you know, and we bind and loose everything. Hallelujah. If it moves, we bind it. If it doesn't move, we loose it. Hallelujah. And, we, and we're casting all kinds of mountains into the sea. Now, I'm not making fun of that. I believe in that 100%. I believe that we have authority in the name of Yeshua to bind and to loose, and whatever we say will come to pass, and we can cast mountains into the sea. But I just want to show you something there, that the context of him of binding and loosing and also casting mountains in the sea has got to do with the fact that Yeshua is coming back into Jerusalem to take up his throne. And Yeshua says, whatever you need to get me to do that, you can bind. Bind it and you can loose it. Again, if you're just binding and loosing to get yourself, hallelujah, a parking spot at the, at the mall on the weekend, that's not exactly what the binding and loosing was meant there for. Although, as I say all the time, I pray to get myself a, a parking spot too, but that's not the primary purpose of binding and loosing. The primary thing is binding to loosing. Now listen, is whatever you need, whatever Jesus needs to get him into the city of Jerusalem on that throne. 
If you need a hundred million dollars to do that, you can loose that in. Hallelujah. And if you're just trying to bind and loose in your new car and your next padded uh, 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 sofa so you can be more relaxed while you're watching TV. No, I won't go there. Now, but, 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 if you, but you have to bind and loose the things. And Jesus said, whatever you need to get me on my way to take up that throne in Jerusalem, that you can bind, that you can loose. And if anybody challenges you, what are you doing that for? You say... Yeshua's coming in to his city to take up his throne. He needs this. And the whole world will just say, take whatever you need. Take whatever you need. Hallelujah. And whatever mountains are in the way. See, if the mountains are just in the way of you being comfortable, what kind of faith are you standing on? But Yeshua said that when he was on the way into Jerusalem, he said, you can say to this mountain, and he was speaking of the mountain of opposition, trying to keep him away from taking up his throne in Jerusalem. And he said, whatever you do, you can rebuke mountains and cast them in the sea to get them out of the way of me coming in to take up my throne. And if you have that, you'll have faith that will really move mountains. And no matter what it will take, you will see history bend and move at your sake. We talked there about worship. We talked there now about faith. I'm going to give you another thing that's related to this. And that's intercessory prayer. The next verse says there in the Luke version, it says that when Jesus came in, he looked over the city of Jerusalem and he fell down on his knees and he began to weep over the city. That's a revelation of intercessory prayer. It's a weeping and intercessory prayer. And you have a revelation of that. I know that. But I just want to add one little part to it for you. Connected to Jesus' desire to come and be the king over his own city. He wept in intercession over the city of Jerusalem because they were not willing to receive him as king. And if you want to have an anointing of intercession, if you want to have an anointing of prayer, if you want to have an anointing to weep for the purposes of God, well, catch Jesus at that same spot. Catch Yeshua where he's weeping with an intercessory anointing. He's weeping over the city of Jerusalem. This is not because we happen to be Jewish. It's not what it's about. It's about His heart. Now, I know He's weeping over every city, but there's something special. If you want to say, Jesus, I want to know Your heart. I want to have a heart like You. Well, He's weeping over the city of Jerusalem. That's what it's all about. It's His. It's His heart of intercessory burden and prayer and weeping. So we talked about praise and worship. We talked about faith, binding and loosening. We talked about weeping and intercession. Here's another one. Offering. It said there that the people came and they took off their clothes and laid it on the road so that his donkey would not, the feet, not only his feet, but even his donkey's feet would not touch the ground as it was walking in. When somebody on our prayer team today, we were praying about this and he asked me, well, what does that mean for the clothes? I said, the clothes are a symbol of who you are, what you do, and what you have. It's who you are, it's your identity. It's what you do, it's the good deeds of the saints. And it's what you have, it's all your possessions right down to the last, giving your shirt away. And he said, here's what you want to do. You want to make offerings unto Yeshua. You want to give him all of who you are, your identity. You want to give Him all that you do, all your good deeds. You want to give Him everything that you have right down off of the shirt on your back. You want to offer that to Him, but to what? 
to what are you offering it for? You're paving the way for him to come back to Jerusalem to take up his throne because that's what he wants. He saved my life. I owe my whole life to him. I have no life but Jesus, no life but Yeshua, nothing. As Bob Dylan once said, what can I do for you? What can I give you an offering for? He wants to become king in Jerusalem. I didn't choose that. He chose that. That's what he wants. If that's what he wants, let's give him an offering to get him into that. Let's give him all who we are. Are you willing to sacrifice your ministry identity for that? Uh Uh-oh. Think about Don Finto, man. He had to get his whole ministry identity messed up. Getting attached with this. Well, your deeds, what you have, who you are. Are you willing to give that to Jesus for what he wants? You know, sometimes husbands and wives give themselves presents for their birthdays. And the husband gives to the wife what he really thinks that he wants. And she gives to him really what she, you know, and they, they're not really catching what the other person wants. Are we giving, are you giving to Jesus what you think you want? Or are you giving to him what he wants? He wants to be king in Jerusalem. I don't know why. It's not up for me to ask why. That's what he wants. That's what he thinks is an idea of a good time. So that's so I want to give my offering to him. I want to give I want to give him an offering. I want to lay down my clothes upon the line to help him to get back into Jerusalem. I, I know this that um, I, I felt this sometimes that um, and, I'm, and I'm sure other evangelists in Israel feel the same thing. You know, there's these times when we're sharing the gospel with unsaved Israelis. Sharing with them in Hebrew and just feeling the anointing. And you have that and I just feel Yeshua on the inside of me going, Oh, yes, I have wanted to do this for so long. Keep going. Keep doing it. Thank you. Do it. I've wanted to do this for so long. Do you want? We want this because it's what He wants. You with me? So we talked about... Worship, we talked about faith, we talked about intercession, we talked about making an offering. Hallelujah. I want to also talk to you about the cross. Understanding the cross. Do you see, when you see the cross, do you see Him as a Savior? Do you see your sins forgiven? Do you see the Lamb of God, His blood making atonement for you? Well, certainly I see that and certainly that's true. But do you see the other part? Do you see what God says? I mean, what does God have to do? Does He have to write it on a sign over His head until we get the point? He went to the cross in order to become the King of the Jews. Jesus says, can I make this any plainer to you? He did not write over his head forgiveness of sins. He did not write over his head, this is the Lamb of God. He did not write over his head, this is for the atonement. This is to save you. He wrote over his head, this is for, this is the one who is to be the King of the Jews. Boy, that's hard for you to get that, huh? I want you to get a revelation of the cross right now. That the revelation of the cross is this is Jesus going through the cross on His way to fulfill His destiny to become the King of the Jews. 
His, the cross was his, listen, the cross was his price to pay to get you saved out of your sins. But it was also the price for him to pay to fulfill his own destiny to become the king of Israel. It was an obedience test for him that he would have the authority upon the earth that no one else had. And he's saying, I'm doing this not only to forgive you of sins. I am doing this to prove that I am the most obedient human being that ever walked the face of the earth. And I have proved my my right to be. Look, 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 what does it say? What does it say? It says, here I am, the obedient, the submitted, the loyal, the faithful king of the Jews and the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. That was the fifth thing. There's another thing here, and that's about spiritual battle. If you want to understand spiritual warfare... The spiritual warfare has to do with Yeshua becoming a king in Jerusalem. Whatever you think spiritual warfare is, it's all those things. But I want to add another dimension to it. All of spiritual warfare comes to a culmination and an end on one day. The height, the end, the culmination of all of spiritual warfare comes on one day at one moment. And it is, as Zechariah 14.2 tells us, a battle over Jerusalem in which all the nations have come against Jerusalem to battle. Now, why does God get angry about that? Because ultimately, that battle is to keep Jesus away from becoming the king in Jerusalem. All of the nations of the world are in rebellion. And God has said, listen, listen. Psalm chapter 2, God said, I have put my king on my holy hill in Jerusalem. You can like it or lump it, but that's my authority. That's my spiritual battle. And I say if all of an ungodly secular humanist Europe or all of it of it of a hateful, spiteful Islam or all of a prideful rabbinic Judaism or all of a lukewarm, wishy-washy church that wants to run away from spiritual battles in the end time and get raptured instead of getting in there to fight for the throne of Jesus. I don't care if they all miss it. I don't care if they all miss it. I'm telling you, spiritual warfare has got to do with fighting to get that guy back into that chair in that location. The last part of that revelation, one more thing, is that um, many people are looking for the anointing. Everybody's running around looking for the anointing today. And we just went around shouting, double anointing, double anointing, double anointing. But I was thinking about this, that the anointing that we have, listen, the anointing that we have is the anointing that's on Yeshua. And I want you to see an example of that. When Samuel went to David and poured that oil on his head, Samuel's an image of God, David's an image of Jesus. God is anointing David God is anointing Yeshua, Jesus, to be the king. 
in Jerusalem. That's what biblical anointing is primarily about. It's an anointing on the head of the king to go into Jerusalem and fulfill his role. If you want, and I say this today, I said this today in prayer, I want to get close to that. I want to get close enough that at least a little bit of those drops are going to bounce off of his head and touch me. If you want to get closer to the anointing drops of God, you've got to get closer to that revelation that God is trying to get Jesus to be a king in Jerusalem. That's what he's anointing him about. That's what the anointing is for. That's where the anointing is found. And if you want to get a little of it, you've got to get close to that revelation. And the farther you get from the revelation that Jesus is to be a king in Jerusalem, the farther you get from the anointing of God. And you can shout it up and down, but you won't have it. But you get close to that revelation of Jesus coming back to be a king in Jerusalem. And you'll be close to that place where Samuel is pouring that oil on David. Where God is pouring that that oil on Yeshua. He said, I have anointed him. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed one, anointed to be the king over Israel. Hallelujah. I hope this is giving you you some motivation to continue in your prayer watch and in your Israel mandate And to see that this is not some crazy fluke thing, you know, that Mike happened to come up with. This is a central theme of the kingdom of God. I know some of you think that. You're laughing because some of you know that it's true. Some people here think that this is just a side issue. And why is Mike so hung up on it? Well, he's hung up on it because I suggest you, if you're not sure about this, take a concordance and run the word Jerusalem and run the word Israel through it and see how many times it comes up and see if this is a side issue or this is a central issue. Hallelujah. Now, when the Jews were in Jerusalem, they made a tragic mistake. Our people... When Yeshua came and said, I am the king of Israel. And we said, oh my God, what an embarrassment. We said, we have no king but Caesar. What a tragic mistake. Now that's easy for you to see. But I want you to see something under the surface here. The problem was not so much of them calling Caesar their king because Jesus said, give to Caesar what's to Caesar's. The problem was they missed something. Now listen closely. They missed the revelation that Yeshua came to be the king of Jerusalem. That's what they missed, that part of it. And that's why they said, we have no king but Caesar. But now the church is making the same mistake. They're missing the revelation that Jesus has come to be the king of Jerusalem. Now, they're not saying we have no king but Caesar, but they're making a whole bunch of other mistakes. Like pre-tribulation rapture. One of the reasons they did because they don't have a revelation of Jesus coming back to Jerusalem to be the king. If you did, you wouldn't want to leave here until he gets into that seat. 
And the church is doing a whole bunch of its varieties of we have no king but Caesar. All of it, and it's basically saying this, we don't believe that Jesus is the king in Jerusalem. We just believe he's king in heavenly Jerusalem. We don't believe that he's king in earthly Jerusalem. You're making the same mistake that my people made when we said we had no king but Caesar. We said, now we said we have no king but Caesar. And you say, well, he's just a king in heavenly Jerusalem. But it's the same mistake. It's the mistake of not seeing Jesus as the king sitting on the throne in the city of Jerusalem. Now, we need to see the church get ready for the triumphal entry of Jesus. We need to have the church get ready for Jesus to come back in glory and take up his throne in Jerusalem. Now, in the Bible, there's two Jerusalems. There's heavenly Jerusalem and there's earthly Jerusalem. One of the brothers that was praying with us today, he said, I I just see what's going to happen tonight is there's going to be an alignment That people are going to see the alignment of heavenly Jerusalem lined up on top of Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden they're going to get it. There is an aligning today, an alignment of seeing Jesus in in heavenly Jerusalem reigning directly above physical Jerusalem, getting ready to come back down. Do you know that three times in the book of Revelation it says that heavenly Jerusalem descends down. Jesus doesn't want to be in heavenly Jerusalem. He said, I'm going away and I'm going to come back. I'm going away to get my authority and then I'm coming back to this earth to take up my throne in the city of Jerusalem. He said, I'm coming down and I will bring heavenly Jerusalem down with me. It will come down. He's not coming back. You get this? He's not leaving heaven. He's bringing heaven down with him. You see, we're not saying, well, okay, we're going to give up all the spiritual stuff that we know about in the New Testament, and then he's just going to come back and be the old carnal Jewish, you know, son of David. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying he's going to bring all that down with him and harmonize heaven and earth. He's going to bring heaven and earth together because this is the purposes of God. Ephesians 1.10, that in the fullness of times, God will bring all things into one under Jesus, both that which is in heaven and that which is in earth. And where is he going to do that? He's going to take his throne in heaven as the, in heavenly Jerusalem as the son of God and he will take his throne on earth as the son of David and he will pull the two together because he is both the son of God and the son of David Jesus does not rule in heaven because he's the son of David David has no right in heaven he rules in heaven because he's the son of God but the reverse is also true He will not rule in earthly Jerusalem because he's the son of God. He will rule in earthly Jerusalem because he is the son of David. And only because he's both will he be able to bring the two together. Hallelujah. We need to see those things line up. I I was thinking about, you know, some researchers say, now this may be false. It's kind of a humanistic thing, but I'm trying to make a spiritual point out of it. Some, Some people say, researchers say that when Jesus was born... Yeshua was born 2,000 years ago. You know, they saw this star, they saw this glory. And they say that's because at that time it just happened to be that all the planets, for the one time in history, all just happened to be lined up in a row. And all these stars were lined up in a row. And what the people really saw was just all these stars and planets lined up in the same place. Well, maybe it was. Maybe that did happen also. But it was also the glory of God that came over him when he was born. 
But let's take this as a symbolic thing, because the Bible does say that Jesus was born at the exact alignment of the fullness of times. He was born at an exact preordained time of destiny, and that it wasn't stars lined up. At least from God's point of view, all the powers and principalities were lined up for an exact moment that would happen just once in history, that all the powers and principalities of heaven were exactly lined up in one way for the one moment in all of eternity, which was the time for Jesus to be born. But there is another alignment coming. And it may not be physical stars, that's not the point, but just say if it was. Say if there's only one other time in history that all the stars will be lined up. This time not over Bethlehem, but over Jerusalem. This time there will be one other point in history when all the powers and all the principalities and all the dispensations of God and all the preordained plan of God will all line up at one moment in time which will be the great and terrible day of the Lord which will be at no other point in time in history that God has preordained it and predestined it. Jesus will come back into the earth. And just as Michael was saying, as there were Annas and Simeons that prayed and interceded to give birth to Jesus coming into the earth the first time, we have to, in this generation, pray and intercede to give birth Him coming into this planet the second time. The first time was to get him incarnated as a babe. The second time is to get him to come and take up his throne in Jerusalem. We get him in the first time as a little baby. We get him in the second time as a full-grown king. Little Mama Miriam's going to be surprised when he comes back the second time. But think about the glory that was over that child when he was born. It was not a star they saw. It was the glory power of God that was over, over that child when he was born. But think how much glory was there. How much more glory when he comes back into the earth again, not as a little babe, but comes back in as the king of glory, like a shining sun riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. Jesus, we want to welcome you back in and we want to intercede to make it happen. And all this is to see you have to have a revelation of Jesus as the king of Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Well, I was thinking that there's a special timing that's happening today. I know uh, Sister Jill, Prophetess Jill, was telling me that there just happened to be a a bunch of prophecies going around the body of, of Christ that's saying that on March 11th, something is going to happen that could change the future of the church. And I, I believe that it has something to do with you. Something to do with you of what is this thing you've been doing about? What is this thing you've been praying about and, and birthing for almost 20 years? It has to do with, a, yes, the, the praise and worship. You've got to have that. The bridal heart. And, the, and then you've got to have your, you've got to get your end times right. But then eventually it will end up being in, a, in an international network of prayer that will intercede. What Michael just said, to be end time Annas and Simeons. Not just Annas, also Simeons. To be a company to, to, to give birth to Jesus back into this planet once again. To have Him come back in. 
There's something in that. And when, and when, the, when the church can see that He came in the first time as the babe in the manger, and He's coming back the second time as the King of Israel, who is coming back to sit on David's throne in Jerusalem, and all the nations will bend their knee to that. And all the nations that come to fight that will be destroyed. And all the nations who survive will come up to worship the King at Jerusalem. And that's what it's all about. That you've got to have a revelation that all of history will end up at that point of the nations coming to bow down and worship Jesus in Jerusalem as the king. And if not, they will be destroyed. There's something here that will line up in the heavenlies with you if that will happen. I just think in a personal way, there was sort of a, a divine coincidence that happened with me also. I mentioned this story, I said, the last time I was here a few months ago. And to tell you the truth, I don't remember ever telling this testimony even one other time in, in, the, in the last 10, 15 years. But I want to say it again because it's pertinent to this. Almost 20 years ago, I think it was probably about the time that God was speaking to Mike about this, the, 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 the mandate that he has. That God spoke to me and I had a vision. I was in Jerusalem. I was at the Wailing Wall. And I was praying with, with that Jewish prayer system. I had to fill in on the leather straps and, and all the, the, the Jewish prayer clothing. And I was at the wall, facing the wall, and, I, and I, all of a sudden I was caught in the Spirit. And I saw the, the Spirit coming over the top of the wall from where the Temple Mount is, coming over me like a fountain. It looked like a water fountain, but coming like His light. And was coming down over me. And I was caught up in the Spirit. And the Lord showed me something there. And he, and, he, and he told me, he said, if all of the Messianic Jews in the whole world are united to bring the gospel to Jerusalem, and you're in unity and you're in faith and you're in holiness and you're in pure, if you do everything right, you will lose. Because he gave me a glimpse, a discernment of spirits, of the amount of demonic power that is there to keep the gospel out from Jerusalem. And I cried and I said, oh God, that cannot be the answer. What is the solution? And he said, there is only one way that this will succeed. And that is that the entire international church of Jesus Christ has to have a vision of this. And they have to be interceding to get the gospel into Jerusalem and to get Jesus back into that city as the king. He said, if that happens, you will succeed. And if that does not happen, you will fail. And I believe that that's what this is all about. It's interesting that that vision happened to me a long time ago. And, similar, and, and you know, we've been waiting and praying about it in our lives. In the last few years, we've had a, a wonderful time seeing an openness to the gospel that we've never seen before. We've seen more Israelis receive the gospel in this past year than any time we've ever had. I'm telling you, we have seen a historic breakthrough in terms of Israelis receiving God over this past year. It's been an amazing thing. I've been working primarily in the area of Tel Aviv with my dear friends Ari and Shira Sokoram. We've been working there, and we, it's been amazing. But the Lord's been calling me to begin a transition to go back up toward Jerusalem. And, and I had a few last things to do this. So I'm just telling you a personal story, how this happens to coincide with me. That I had a few last things to do this last month. We had a disciplinary, one disciplinary situation we had to deal with, one financial help situation we had to deal with, one leadership situation we had to deal with. And I told my wife right before, two days ago, when I got on the plane to fly over there, I said, you know what, honey? I said, we just did it. I just finished up the last task 
that I need to do in, in, in Tel Aviv. I said, it's all done. I said, now is the time for us to begin to turn and to turn our faces back toward Jerusalem and to begin to see our ministry at least go back up in that direction. Interestingly enough that that happened, and of course that's connected to something with Dan's life and, and Eitan's life, and it's everybody's. It's not just me. I'm just, I'm just one person giving an example. But it's also tied up with... Mike, you finally getting the first Israel mandate conference. And it's connected with other people. It's connected with these other people that have the problem. It's connected with a whole bunch of things. God is lining up something now. There's a change in the heavenlies. And if we can see it, now is not the time for Jesus to come back in His glory. But now is the time for us to see it. One of our prayer warriors said, sister told us today, she said, she said, I remember once when I I saw a vision of a, of a comet coming to earth, a meteor. And she said, I just happened to look up and nobody else saw it because it happened quickly. And we said, the lesson is this. You can see it if you're looking for it. If you're not looking for it, you won't see it. But if we have a revelation of the fact that Jesus is coming back, a triumphal entry back into Jerusalem in glory, Riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, and we got a rev. So we're looking for it. We're looking for it. We're heads up. We're praying for it. We're interceding for it. We're, we got. We're heads up, looking for him to come back. Then you'll see it because you're looking for it. He said, "When these things start to happen, lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing nigh." And Jesus said, "The day will come when you will see me riding on the clouds, coming in my glory, coming back into Jerusalem." Do you want to see it? Do you want to look? for it. Do you have a revelation that Jesus is coming back to be the King of Israel? Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Lord, we ask you to confirm your word with your power.